0: You are listening to Episode 7 of Full Share, a trader's tale from the golden age of the Solar Clipper, written and read by Nathan Lowell. Chapter 12 Betris Orbital, 2352, June 12. Breakfast woke me. Rather, the need for breakfast woke me. I'd gotten back to the ship early and took the opportunity to go for a long run in a much needed sauna. I didn't know which ship Cassandra was from, and I didn't really want to know. It killed me to see her hurting so much. I hoped I'd helped her, but I'd probably never find out. Pip was on the mess deck and grinned when he saw me coming. There you are, he called. I saw you more when you were an engineer. He started throwing together an omelet for me. I grinned. It was true. Well, if you weren't sneaking off the ship through the cargo lock all the time, I teased him, how'd the co-op do yesterday, and don't be so stingy with the mushrooms? went well yesterday. I think they cleared a hundred creds anyway. I missed a final tally for the day, but it was well up there by afternoon. How are you holding up? It's nerve-wracking, I told him. I keep hoping against hope that something will break, but I have no idea what. There are a couple open berths with other companies out there now, but I can't see anybody in the crew going for any of them, and unless somebody leaves, we're full and I'm surplus. Well, you're still here now. What is it you're always saying? Trust Lois? He grinned. Oh, I do. There's stuff flying around behind the scenery here. I have no idea what, but there's stuff flying. So what are you up to today, he asked. Well, I need to get some sleep. I've got night watch tonight, and that twelve hours on the gangway was hard enough during the day. I can't imagine what it's going to be like at 0300 tomorrow morning. I'll make sure the urn's full for you. You remember where we keep the coffee if you have to make a pot, right? He teased. Funny man. I think I can figure it out. He slipped the omelet onto my plate, and I went to find a seat. I was the only one there, so I had a pretty wide open selection. Pip came out to sit with me while I ate. Where were you last night? I asked. I was looking for you to go out around twenty thirty. Oh, I ran into that pair from the Alistair at the flea. Jeanette and Katie? The tag team with the bet from back in Dunsy, I asked. Yeah, he said with a grin, that's them. They wanted me to prove it wasn't a fluke. Tisk, I said, tough for you, all that performance pressure. I said it with a grin. Well, I take it as a compliment on my warm and sensitive nature, he said self-righteously, and I keep my fingernails clipped. I laughed. So how'd the boutique go? Very well. We sold about half of it already. Nothing to write home about in terms of profit, but we're broken even on the prints already and only half sold, so we're on track to double that. I'll go up this afternoon and see if I can find anything to buy. Well, he said, don't get too carried away. My mass allotment's only 50 kilos. Oh. Oh. I suddenly realized a further implication of my leaving. Pip and I had pooled mass allotments. If I were put ashore, then that pool would be dissolved. I shrugged. Trust Lois. That's all we can do at this point, he said. Well, that and be ready to jump at any opportunities that come our way. did not you jump on any last night? He asked with a leer. I met a nice lady and we went for a walk, I told him. Beyond that, a gentleman doesn't tell. I informed him primly. Well, I know that, you goof. That's why I asked you. We shared a laugh, but I refused to tell him any more. After breakfast, there wasn't much to do. It was too early for shopping, and I'd had my run the night before. I didn't really feel like studying anymore because I knew I had the night watch and wanted to keep that activity for when I needed something to entertain me, so I did what any self-respecting spacer would do, stripped down to boxers and ship tea and crawled back into my bunk. It felt horribly decadent, and I wondered if I really could go back to sleep. I squirmed a little, nestling down into the mattress and settling my face against the pillow, it was not quite cool from when I'd gotten out. The silky stroke of the linen from the pillow reminded me of that smooth, cool, immaculately manicured hand against my face as I dropped back out of reality and into sleep. Maybe it was the accumulated stress or maybe just sleep debt, but I drifted in and out, mostly out, till 1600. I had vague recollections of quiet conversations in the birthing area. I remembered when I made the decision not to get out for lunch. The bunk was just too comfortable, and I had some very interesting dreams going. It felt delicious, asleep, but aware that I was asleep. The one image I carried back to consciousness was of a dolphin swimming in a dark sea, cresting and diving, up into a star-spackled night and down into the velvet deep, the water stroking sensuously across my skin. I woke myself trying to remember some phrase that my mother used to say. You don't need to be Getty to figure that one out. No, that wasn't right, but it was close. Nice nap? Sally asked from her bunk across the way. You certainly look like you enjoyed it. There was a teasing lilt in her voice that made me look over to her and then back to where she was looking. Pervert, I told her with a laugh, and adjusted the tented covers so my waking condition wasn't waving in the air. Hey, she said with a grin, if you put something that interesting up there, don't blame a girl for admiring. Another few ticks and I was going to start selling tickets. I know a few people would pay big money for that floor show. I chuckled and threw my pillow at her. There was something both intimate and innocent about the whole experience, a sense of big sister teasing little brother, something very Lois-like. I wondered if other ships had that, which, of course, was like a bucket of cold water down my back, as the realization that I might soon find out sluiced through me. I was able to clamber up out of my bunk without further embarrassment then. The chronometer said I had time for a run in a sauna to get pumped up for the night's watch, so I took advantage of it. I presented myself at 1745, and Fong grinned. "'Oh, you have no idea how glad I am to see you,' he said. (laughs) "'After the other day, I think I can guess,' I told him with a chuckle. "'That chair isn't all that comfortable.' They make them that way on purpose, he said. It helps keep you awake. No doubt, I replied. No doubt. We performed the requisite incantations to change the watch. Anything I need to know? I asked him. He shrugged. Ms. Avril is the O.D. Mr. Maxwell is still aboard. Mr. Von Nichols and the captain are both ashore. The captain will probably be back. How bad is the overnight? I asked. And he knew what I meant. I prefer it, he said. The entertainment value is high and the blackmail opportunities are priceless, he said with a grin. "'particularly for anybody coming back after 0200. "'He caught me with that, and I laughed aloud. "'He just waved and headed back into the ship. "'When Art came to arrange dinner, I took first, "'because, having missed lunch, I was starving. "'Cookie had done a lamb and rice dish with Banner pods "'and a chilled salad of canned legumes. "'It was delicious, but I ate quickly. "'Pip was in the galley and waved, but didn't come out. "'I could see he was busily cleaning up "'and remembered too well the opportunity "'that an import mess afforded "'for getting off work a little early, "'even if you did have to stay aboard.' Art was surprised to see me so soon. You're going to regret this, he said. It's a long night. I grinned. Well, I'll just pester my messenger all night. <laughs> you wouldn't be the first one, he said ruefully. Seriously, though, just bit me when you want coffee. I'll bring it out. And a ticket disappeared into the ship, and I settled down to the and training materials. I was scoring 95 on the Messman exam. If I managed to stay with the ship, I'd be testing again in just a few days. If not, well, I could always test at the Union Hall. I sighed and settled down. Traffic in and out of the lock was pretty steady until about 2100, when it tapered off. At 2130, the captain came back aboard, accompanied by somebody I couldn't quite see, and I stood as she came into the lock and walked up to the desk. Good evening, Mr. Huang, she said with a smile. Would you log my guest aboard, please? My pleasure, Captain, I told her, and Cassandra stepped up to the station. Captain Cassandra Harrison, she announced, with a dancing light in her eyes, commanding the Samuel Slater. Thank you, Captain, I said to her, and hoped my smile wasn't showing beyond what was proper respect for Able Spacer to Captain. Captain Chagone took her by the elbow then, and they headed into the ship. Wait till you try this cast, she was saying. I got it on Nerys, and it's just ambrosia. Around midnight, just as I was considering bipping Art to bring me another coffee, I heard them coming back. The giggling was charming, and I wondered just what that ambrosia had been. It certainly sounded like they'd enjoyed it. Mr. Wong, Captain Chagone said, please log Captain Harrison out. Of course, Captain. I said with a smile. Thank you, Ishmael, Captain Harrison said with a wink. They headed to the lock, and I keyed it open for them. It was a small space, and I wasn't trying to eavesdrop, but even over the noise of the opening lock, I heard the captain say softly, You seem so much better, Cass. I've been so worried about you. Cass smiled broadly at that, patting the captain's arm. She said, Thanks for being there for me all this time, Alice. I got a new mirror recently, and I think I'm finally ready to move on. They gave that woman-to-woman hug with cheek-kissed thing, the real one that only very good friends do, not the fake one that colleagues trade, before Captain Harrison headed off the lock. Next time, you buy dinner, Captain Chagone called after her. Cassandra waved and called over her shoulder. Deal, before she stepped off the ship. Captain Chagone punched the close button and crossed her arms against the cold as she watched her guest leave. She looked thoughtful as she walked up to the station, and I remained standing as she approached. I expected her to walk right by, but she stopped and looked at me oddly without speaking for as much as two ticks. Finally, she spoke very softly. Cass Harrison was my roommate at the academy. I've been very worried about her for the last couple of stanniers. Her husband left her for some orbital chippy, and she was devastated. She wasn't looking at me then, but more inwards, as if telling herself a story. I talked to her when we first docked, and she was, if anything, worse than ever. That was two days ago. She did look at me then. Did she seem like a woman on the edge of breakdown to you, Mr. Huang? She asked. I'm sure it's not my place to say, Captain, but no, I said. She seemed, if you'll pardon my saying so, magnificent. An excellent word, Mr. Huang, she said with a considering smile. Magnificent. Yes. She looked at me in the corner of her eye then, and I was afraid of what she was about to say next, but she only asked softly. You wouldn't know how she knew your first name, would you, Mr. Huang? "'I couldn't say, Captain,' I told her. "'Thank you, Mr. Wong,' she said with a small smile, "'and headed back into the ship. "'I settled back down to my studies, "'but my eye kept seeing that image in the mirror "'when, for the briefest of instants, "'I'd held that magnificent woman in my arms. "'My mother had written a paper on the metaphor of mirror "'in literature through the ages. "'She published it in one of the scholarly journals. "'The thrust of it had been how the mirror symbolized magic.' I couldn't help but think maybe she'd missed the mark slightly with her emphasis on symbolism. Watch was pretty much a non-event from that point forward, a circumstance for which I was grateful. One close brush with the high and powerful per day was my limit. I did find out what Fong had meant about the amusement factor, though, as well as the blackmail possibilities inherent in having to open the lock for returning crew who had been celebrating a bit too vigorously. For example, I learned that Roncham had a delightful little honeybee tattoo that I'd never seen before— given the number of saunas we'd shared, it made me see her in a whole new light. When she came to relieve me in the morning, looking a bit worn around the edges, but cheerful enough, she just said, Souvenir of Siren. She said it with a shrug and a grin. that was definitely naughty. We chuckled, and she took the watch while I went to breakfast. When I went of the mess deck, I found Cece just settling in with his omelet. Pip was looking a little tired, and I asked, Tag team from the Alistair again? As he was fixing my breakfast. Yeah, he said, they can be quite a handful, and he sighed. "'Geez, we better get underway soon before they kill you,' I joked. "'He considered that for a moment, bouncing his spatula in one hand. "'But can you think of a better way to go?' he asked with a grin. "'We both chuckled. "'Well, maybe old age, I suggested. "'He considered that for a moment longer before coming back with, "'Okay, death by tag team at 140. Beat that.' "'I just laughed and shook my head. "'I took my omelet over and sat with Cece. "'So, how's solo watch standing going?' I asked. "'He grinned. "'You've stood that watch,' he said. "'You know what it's like.' He laid his head on his shoulder, closed his eyes, and made snoring sounds. (laughs) "'Yeah,' I chuckled. "'Now you know my secret for studying.' "'You really passed the Spec 2 exam?' he asked. "'I'm not doubting you,' he added quickly. "'It's just a lot to grasp in a short time.' "'Yeah, well, I started by studying Spec 1 stuff by accident. "'I got really stuck on it. was thrashing there for a month. "'By the time I discovered it, "'I'd almost worked through the entire Spec 1 curriculum. "'Dropping back to Spec 2 was actually easier. "'Why didn't you finish and go with Spec 1?' Real seems to think you should have. I shrugged. There was a lot of math in the Spec 1 science components. I just don't have that kind of background, and the curriculum assumes you know it. I need to find a way to learn that. And as soon as I said it, I remembered the advanced math curriculum on my portable and made a mental note to kick myself later for not thinking of it sooner. You learn pretty well on your own, then, he asked. Well, I seem to do okay. If I can read it and it's clear enough, I can usually get my head wrapped around it. I've always been that way, and it's paid off here. Yeah, he said the handbook is good that way, at least at the lower levels. Sean Grishon came in for breakfast, Dan, and shot Cece a dirty look before he saw me sitting with him. He looked a little confused at that, but looked away and didn't look back. He collected some coffee and pastry and disappeared again. How are you adjusting to life on the lowest, I asked. He sighed, oh, peachy, it's pleasant starting a new birth being hated. I ate in silence for a bit. I know it's not your fault, I said finally, but not everybody here sees the big picture. He shrugged and sighed again. That's probably it, but you have a lot of friends who seem to blame me for you not getting that Spec-3 berth. Sorry, I said. So why don't you bump somebody, he asked. I considered it for a long moment. I'd rather go ashore than hurt one of the crew by making them take my place. Doesn't that make you a bit of a martyr, he asked. I I don't mean that unkindly, he added hurriedly. It just seems like you have the rank. You earned the privilege. Everybody here has the same opportunity. That's true, I said, but I have to look at myself in the mirror. I couldn't stand it if I booted somebody else. It's not their problem, and I don't see the value added to the universe if I just take my problem and pass it on. He shrugged. Well, that's the way the universe works, isn't it? He asked bitterly. I sighed. Some days it seems like that, I told him, but I'm hoping that it's just short-term karmic debt. He blinked at me. Do you always talk like that? He asked. (laughs) Sometimes it's worse, I told him with a grin. Early childhood training. He had no idea what I was talking about, and I didn't want to explain, so I tried to distract him by asking, so what were you doing on Betris that the company had you available? What? he asked, apparently having a bit of difficulty following the left turn in the conversation. You were on Betris. The company didn't fly you in special to take this job, right? I asked. Oh, yeah, right, he said. I was working environmental on the Matthew Bolton, on a loop from Dunsany out to Barsey and back through Abelmorrow. One of her scrubbers had a water leak, and it was constantly dripping. The day before, we were to pull out a nile. I must have slipped on it. My relief found me out cold on the deck, and they took me to medical. Cracked my skull on the deck plates. Apparently, I had a concussion. Skipper had to ground me. Yuck! I said. How long have you been here? Four months, he said with a grin. You don't seem too upset about being grounded for that long. Well, it was job related. They had to give me full pay and expenses. And you've been sitting here milking it for four months. He grinned. Yep, it's been pretty cushy, but I'm ready to get back in the saddle. Hard to believe, but I'm getting bored. Why didn't you ship out before? Why should I? Pays the same and I didn't have to work. He shrugged. There haven't been any other Federated Freight ships come through with an environmental berth open. About two months ago, I got a bip from home office that I'd be assigned to the lowest if I didn't find a berth before then. They got tired of paying you for sitting here, huh? Yep, he grinned again. About the third week, they got tired of it. They've bugged me about it once a week ever since, but there's nothing they can do. I don't have to take a job less than the one I left. He shrugged. On their books, you're an engine They can force me into your slot. You'd be cheaper because they don't have to pay expenses or full salary. End of your gravy train, huh? He shrugged. Yeah, but I'm ready. Betris is not the cultural hub of the galaxy. I'm getting bored. Finally, he grinned. So now you get to try to convince the rest of the crew that you're not a bad guy. Yep. "'He said, suddenly not so chipper. "'Something like that. "'We finished eating and went our separate ways. "'Whatever I felt about the new guy, he was here. "'It was just going on 0700, "'so I grabbed a few of Cookie's pastries, two fresh mugs of coffee, "'and headed down to Environmental. "'Hey!' I called when I stuck my head through the hatch. "'You missed breakfast!' "'Diane was sitting behind the watchstander's console, "'but she didn't look happy to me. "'I brought you fresh pastry and a coffee,' "'I said as I crossed over to her. "'What's the matter?' Thanks for the coffee, but I'm not real hungry this morning. I grabbed a pastry before I came down. He didn't answer my question, I observed, as I ate the pastry I'd brought for her. The new guy, she answered with a frown. Already? I asked. What is it? When was the last time you handed off a watch with pending scheduled maintenance-ish? Well, not counting last week, I asked. No, not counting that. We had so much crap flying around, we all passed it on until we got out from under, but we were clear within a day, she said angrily. There's nothing like that now. It didn't do his overnight maintenance? She shook her head. Number two input trap was scheduled for cleaning. Messy, but not difficult. Agreed, she said. Maybe he didn't see it in the log. He relieved me with it. What? When I relieved him, he said, number two input trap, maintenance scheduled, but not perform. You may relieve me, and that was it, she said. Did you ask why? Yeah, he said. He said he didn't think it was that important and I could pass it on if I wanted. That was his first solo watch. Yep, Brill was sitting with him, but you know it's sporadic. That might have been the first one he actually saw. But you don't think so, I said. Oh, I think it was the first one he saw here, but what kind of ship lets environmental maintenance slip like that? Hmm. The kind that lets a scrubber leak on the deck, maybe, I said. What? she asked. I just shrugged. He's here and we need to deal with him. It's not his fault that the company put him here. But you're going to get grounded here, she said. Ah, eh, maybe, maybe not. There's stuff happening in officer country that we don't know about, and maybe something will turn up. I smiled at her. I'm not grounded yet. That's true, she said, and she slapped me on the arm. You ate all the pastry, you sludge monkey. Chapter 13. Betris Orbital, 2352, June 15. We'd been docked five days, and we still had no estimated time of departure. Usually four days was our limit, and it looked like we still had days left to go. The captain wasn't saying, but we were waiting for something beyond repairs. The crew was getting worn out from the long watches and longer nights ashore. I suspected more than one cred balance was beginning to suffer. It was odd, as much as getting into port meant we all had a kind of frustration with being nailed down. I almost wished they'd do something, even if it meant leaving me behind, just so the ship could get back underway. As for me, I stayed close to the ship. I had no heart for private trading, and the co-op had sold everything anybody had brought with them. The results had been pretty spectacular, and Bip informed me that we had close to seven kilocreds in our joint account. Every once in a while he'd ask me to go to the flea market, if only to pick something he could take to Nile. Neither of us really wanted to face that, so he hadn't pushed it and I hadn't gone to the flea market. It was aggravating because I knew that something was happening, but nobody was saying anything. I had the sense that I wouldn't be staying on Betris, but I didn't dare operate under any assumptions because I had no information to the contrary. It was all well and good to trust Lois, but it was getting harder every day. Still, they kept me aboard. I wondered how much longer the fiction could be maintained. I'd had the day watch on the 14th, but just hadn't had the heart to go out after, so I was up early and getting breakfast. The mess deck was pretty busy these days because it was a free meal. Almost all the crew showed up, and Pip, Sarah, and Cookie were having to work hard to keep up and still maintain any kind of watch schedule. I noticed that all three of them were often working, even when I knew one of them should have been off duty. Mr. Von Nichols was having his coffee in the officer's table when I entered, and he waved me over before I could even get my coffee. Mr. Huang, he said, I know you're off duty, but I wonder if I could ask a favor of you. I shrugged. As long as I'm clear by 1800 so I can go on watch. Sure, I told him. I got no plans. Excellent, he said with a big grin. I need your advice on a procurement issue. Can you meet me at the main lock at, say, 0900? It was an odd request, but he was the officer, so I just said, yes, sir. As I was walking away, he said, civvies, Mr. Huang. Aye, sir, I replied, but I needed my coffee, and he didn't seem to mind that I didn't stop. I met him at the appointed time, and I have to confess to a certain level of curiosity— We checked out with Fong and headed across the dock. I didn't ask, and he didn't offer until we were well away from the ship. What do you know of EMP hardening, Ishmael? he asked. Not a lot, sir, I said. The usual method for small devices is a grounded shell that intercepts and bleeds off the charged particles, but I have no idea how we shield a whole ship. The ship is the shell. We keep a slight charge on the skin while underway. It's actually an artifact of the fields we use for the grav keel and sails. Then how did the EMP fry the network, sir? "'The very question, Ishmael, the very question,' he said. "'How, indeed?' "'May I ask what we're procuring, sir?' "'A portable computer,' he said. "'I want your input on it. "'The spec should exceed the capacity of the one you brought aboard "'by at least a factor of two. "'You know the most about that machine, "'so you're the best one to advise me.' "'I see, sir,' I said. "'And I did. "'With my leaving the ship, "'the backup provided by my portable would be leaving with me. "'It was only prudent to replace it beforehand.' "'Don't be too sure of that,' he said quietly.' I was curious, but I didn't ask. There were three separate vendors on the orbital, and we visited all of them. Mr. Von Nichols required me to interact with each vendor while he stayed in the background and listened. It took the rest of the morning to visit all of them and determine the precise configurations each could provide within the time frames we specified. Of course, our time frames were nebulous in the next couple of days, so it wasn't that easy for them to get a read on what we actually needed. After we were done, he took me to a coffee shop and we ordered a light lunch and got down to comparing. So what do you think, Ish? he asked. I pulled up the notes I'd made on my tablet and consulted them. The first place had some excellent equipment, but the differential in price? I'm not sure it was worth it. His integrated systems just didn't have the kind of oomph I'd expect from that price. The second place had consumer-grade gear. Not junk, just not up to spec. If I'm going to put my neck on the block over it, I wouldn't trust that. Most of it wasn't as good as even the one I have. The third one had good gear, but nothing in the configuration we'd want to run a backup shipnet in the event of another toast-up. I said. So none of them have the gear we need, he said. Not off the shelf, no, sir, I concluded. I hear a but, he said with a grin, give. Well, the cases that first guy had were expensive, but they were really good. We're interested in armored machines, and he had three full machines he was trying to sell us. If we skipped the bells and whistles, his case and bear system would be a good starting point, I said, as I munched my sandwich. The case we had on the second system he showed us in particular, that was excellent for what we're looking to do. Hardened to mill spec with shock mounting and grounding. We need some of those bells and whistles. You're dismissing, he said. Yeah, but that last place had them, and they were good brands at fair prices. If we start with the base from the first shop and the guts from the last, we can integrate it ourselves on the ship and have a better machine than either one of them could provide. I don't want to try to save our lives on the cheap-ish, he said. Me either. It's not going to be cheap. But it's not just the price either, it's the quality of the components. The first place was betting on the cases and charging as if the guts were the same quality when they weren't. The last place had great quality components, but he was skipping on the cases to make up for it. And you can manage this integration, he asked. I looked at him for a moment and then decided he was testing me. Sar, you're the licensed systems guy. You have to know that what I'm talking about is not close to rocket science. All that stuff is load and go. With the right operating system support, this isn't any more complicated than making coffee. He smiled. So, how do you know this, Ishmael? He asked. I just shrugged. I don't know. Just something I grew up with, I guess. And I smiled. I upgraded my mom's machine a couple of times. Why? Doesn't everybody know this? He looked at me, but he didn't answer. Well, let's eat up and go back. I'll do the buying, but if you see me doing something you think is wrong, stalk me, okay? Well, it's not terribly likely, is it, sir? I asked. No, he admitted, but with our lives on the line, don't you think it would be a good idea to have a second pair of eyes? If you put it that way, sir, I'll be watching like a hawk, I said with a smile. We finished eating and made the rounds of the two shops again. Mr. Von Nichols even added some things I wouldn't have thought of, but they were obvious when he picked them off the shelves. Extra communications ports and additional storage would make our uh box just that much more effective at integrating the shipnet and instrumentation. We were both fairly well laden down by the time we get back to the docks. I felt like a kid with a new toy, and Mr. Von Nichols had a grin so wide I wasn't sure he was going to get through the lock without turning sideways. This was going to be an awesome machine. I just wished I was going to be able to play with it. We got back to the ship around 1430. By the time we had all the gear stowed in the office, it was almost 1500. All right, Mr. Huang, he said, the stuff is secured and I appreciate your assistance today. You should probably get a nap before watch. We're not going to put the machine together, I asked. No, we are not, he said, with a particular emphasis on the we part. Yes, sir, I said, feeling a pang of disappointment. After all, the discussion over lunch about whether or not I could do the integration, I was kind of hoping that I get to do it. I did, however, understand his desire to do it himself. He was going to be sailing with it, after all. Thanks for an interesting day, sir. He gave me an odd smile that looked a lot like cat and canary time, but I couldn't imagine what it was about, so I just headed back to berthing and got out of my civvies. I did have time for a short nap, followed by a run and sauna before I had to get out to the gangway. I took full advantage. Watch was uneventful. With so much time in port, most people had exhausted themselves or their resources or both. A couple of the hardcore went out, but were back by 2400, and the ship may as well have been underway. I finished the cargoman study, and I was pretty sure I could pass both Messman and cargoman without any problem. What had seemed so complex, so complicated, just a few months before seemed almost trivial. I wondered what I'd do with myself on watch for the remaining time I had aboard, and I wished idly that they'd just get on with it and announce a departure. The blank above the ship's telltale on the dock was disconcerting, and we had to be burning through docking fees at a horrendous rate. That was going to make a mess of the share pool for the next leg. Roan came to relieve me in the morning, and I crawled into my bunk without breakfast. It had been a long, frustrating, miserable night. I woke just before lunch, and I hadn't had any unfortunate dreams. Sally pretended to be disappointed that I wasn't providing the entertainment. "'Why do you think I took the lower bunk with two young guys in the uppers?' she asked me with a salacious wink. Scenery. She was a sketch. I was pretty sure she wasn't joking, but there was no penalty for looking.' if you didn't count the frustration from not being able to touch. That particular thought started with a big pile of computer parts in the ship's office, but cycled rapidly through Diane, Bev, Brill, and back, which made me think of Cassandra, so I pulled out my tablet and checked ship status. There it was, S. Slater and Enroute Dunsany. I thought, safe voyage, Captain, and brushed my fingers across the screen. Then I noticed that the Audrey Moore was docked. That was the tanker that Gregor Avery had left us for in St. Cloud. She was another federated freight ship, and she'd posted an opening for ENV3. Looked like life was about to get really interesting. Crap, I thought. Well, I better at least look, I said to myself, and followed the icon trail to the full listing. The system matched my jacket against the berth, and a green qualified showed up on my screen. Before I could click the icon to apply for the job, my tablet and every tablet in the berthing area bipped. People were already buzzing, even before I could get the screen changed. "'The captain had posted a departure date and time. "'We had two days left. "'Double crap, and be careful what you wish for,' I thought, "'remembering my idle wish from the early morning hours. "'Thinking ahead, I realized I had one more day watch, "'and then I'd probably have to leave the ship. "'It wasn't quite as bad as the night they told me Mom had died, "'but it was close. "'I wanted to just curl up there and have a good cry, "'but I'd have felt silly, so I heaved myself out of the bunk "'and headed for the showers and cried there. "'The water was good camouflage, and the door gave me some privacy.' The spasm passed quickly, though, and I got dried off and zipped up in time for lunch. It was going to be hard, but a free meal was a free meal. I tried valiantly not to feel sorry for myself, but failed. I ate lunch, but I don't remember it. I think I sat with Roan and Biddy Murphy, but I couldn't be sure. The mess deck was abuzz with excitement, and I felt very much alone and out of it. I ate quickly and bust my dishes. As I was leaving the mess deck, I remembered the Audrey Moore and the open berth. Ironic that it was the same level that Gregor took. I sighed and reached for my tablet, thinking something darkly Shakespearean along the lines of if twere be done, best be done quickly, but I couldn't be sure which play or even if I were remembering it correctly. I pulled it out of the holster and almost dropped it as it bipped in my hand. The captain wanted to see me at my earliest possible convenience. Crap again, I thought. Well, at least I knew there was a berth I was qualified for, and I wouldn't be stuck on Betris for long. Thanks for listening to Full Share, a trader's tale from the golden age of the solar clipper. Music is from the Fox Hunters, an Irish slip jig originally recorded in 1984 by James Curran and available on the Internet Archive at www.archive.org. This has been a presentation from Durandus, offered under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 2.5 license. For website and more information on the golden age, visit www.durandus.org slash golden.